Welcome to the anointed and transformational teaching ministry of Pastor Walea Kinshiku, Senior Pastor of House of Praise Mississauga, Canada, a parish of the Redeemed Christian Church of God. It is our prayer that as you listen to this message, that you will be empowered to achieve your dreams and fulfill your destiny. God bless you as you listen. Activating the supernatural. Friends, we now live in a world whereby the church has been, the concept of church is being changed by some people in some areas and some pockets. Okay, people are trying to redefine what church means contrary to the original order laid out by Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Please, let's, let's stay with me. Now, today now, we find out when Jesus spoke about the church for the very first time in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. That's the first time Jesus used the word church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, when you look at that statement Jesus is speaking, straight away, he pitted the church against something that is spiritual, that is supernatural. Jesus said, I will build my church, all right? You will see the church in the physical. You will see the church in the natural you will see the church in the three-dimensional world, but the, 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 the interaction, the engagement of the church will be supernatural. The church will be dealing with supernatural forces, gates of hell. The gates of hell are not on earth, okay? But they will be dealing with supernatural forces. And in dealing with the supernatural forces, it means the church will be supernatural. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, the apostles writing the epistles to the Ephesian church, told us the same thing in Ephesians 3, verse 10. He said, listen, the intent is that now that the manifold wisdom of God may be made known. Made known by who? By the church. The church that we can see physically. But this manifold wisdom will be made known not to human beings, to principalities and powers. Where? In the heavenly places. That means in the spirit realm. Heavenly places is another way word of for the spirit realm for the spirit realm so God is saying in other words the church will be supernatural somebody say supernatural so the church that Jesus Christ set up his idea was for this body of believers called out of darkness into his marvelous light to be supernatural but what has happened over time is that people have lost connectivity with the Holy Spirit People are not connecting with the Holy Spirit. They are not putting themselves in a place whereby they can be carriers of the grace of God to manifest the Holy Spirit. So then, what happens is that now we have the church that is steeped in explanation. So what we cannot get supernaturally, we explain away. So we say, you know what, miracles are no longer here. So there is a doctrine of cessation, okay, today prevalent in schools of theology and Bible schools, where they tell you that God has done away with miracles. I don't understand how, how somebody can believe that. Because here I am, I'm standing. How can God have done away with miracles when I'm standing? Here you are, you're standing. How can God have done away with miracles? Look at you, look at you, you're smiling, look at you, you're dancing, look at you, you can shout hallelujah. Come on, is anybody here that can shout hallelujah this morning? 
So I don't need to argue with anybody. I just need to tell them, look at me. Tell the professor of the theology school, look at me. He's saying the miracles are gone. Just look at me. How can miracles be ended? So people are talking about that. So you have this doc doctrine. Then you also have, particularly in the Western world, where the church is now completely devoid of the supernatural. We now have a church of intellectuals. So intellectualism is now what runs the church. There's nothing wrong with intellectualism. I don't have any problem with it. By the grace of the Almighty God, I do not consider myself a dumb human being. Okay? I don't consider myself to be dumb. Okay? By the grace of the Almighty God, at least I can, I can add one plus one. It's three. And I don't consider myself to be dumb. <laughs> Praise God. You know, so we now have a church of intellectualism. So if, if it is not, you know, if it is not, if, if I can't figure it out logically, then leave it out. You know, so with this whole idea of faith connecting to the supernatural, leave that one alone. We've, so we've left that part. You know, where is the God that multiplied the bread? Where is the God? So everything has to be logical. If it's not logical, I can't, I can't be involved. In, that, in this part of the world, is very prevalent. Very prevalent. Then, of course, of course, with Pentecostalism and Charismatism taking hold of Africa, we also have a church of emotionalism. People go to church now just to meet their emotional needs. So today now, the church is more steeped towards comforting people rather than changing people's lives. So we comfort people where they are. Somebody says, oh, this is what's going on. I don't have a job. I don't have a day. This is what's going on. You know, my husband left the house. Say, oh, sorry. Your husband left the house. Sorry. So we put you in a small group. We comfort you and comfort you and comfort you and make you comfortable in the situation that is changeable. So that's what the church is not doing. But Jesus Christ, before he comes, is not coming back for a church that is steeped in emotionalism. He's not coming for, back for a church that is just run by intellectualism. He's coming back for a church without sprinkle, without, without any, any blemish. And that church is the supernatural church. God is restoring the supernatural. And he's not restoring the supernatural to the pulpit only. He's restoring the supernatural to everybody in the church. You are the church. He said, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Come on, somebody now. You shall cast out devils wherever you meet them. They will run from you. You will not run from them. Can I hear an amen from somebody? So this is where we are. Now, having said that, so my goal then is to help us as we enter the 2022, I don't want to wait into 2022, to help you and I to remind us of our responsibility to activate the supernatural. Somebody say the supernatural. So, so, so you're going to stay with me this morning as I want to take my time. And please do forgive me. I know I had to make some announcement at the beginning. Just please stay with me. Let me say this to you. There's something going on right now in the body of Christ. Very prevalent on social media, but very subtle. It's going on now in the body of Christ. It's prevalent on social media, but it's very subtle. If you are not very careful and you, ask, you, you, know, you look at this, then you assimilate it. It will destroy, not modify, destroy your faith in God. And this thing going on is the idea that God is not reliable. Is the idea that we don't know what God will do. That God, you know, this is Monday now. We believe God, Monday, that this will work, and it worked. On Tuesday, I believe God will work. It did not work. Well, you know, it's God. We don't know. God is sovereign. Let God do what he will do. 
And this idea is being perpetuated right now in the body of Christ and it's killing many people. What people don't understand is that you are not designed as a human being to flow with what is unpredictable. Can I speak this morning? You are not designed that way. You know, to, to try and, and put you in that position is to do what is unnatural. Just like it is unnatural. Hmm. Hmm. It's unnatural for me to look at somebody like me in the mirror and move towards that person. Do you understand? It's very it's not unnatural. Something has to happen to you to make you feel that way. It's not natural. Thank you, Lord. It is not natural for you as a human being not to desire increase. If you don't desire increase, something has happened to you. Because it's not natural. It's not natural at all for you to live your life when you think everything is unpredictable. God designed human beings, put us on earth, everything on the earth is predictable. Everything on this earth, everything on this earth is predictable. The North Pole was the North Pole during the days of my great-great-grandfather. It's still the North Pole now. Do you know how many ships, tankers, warships, submarines, right now, right now, I'm not talking about yesterday, right now as I'm speaking, are on the ocean, in the Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, that are carrying different things? How do you think they know where they're going? How do you think they collect where they're going? They're navigating. To, okay, before the days of satellites, how do you think they know where they're going? I mean, in the days of Paul, when they went from, 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 from Jerusalem to Rome on the, on the ship in Acts 27, there was no satellite. So how did you think they know where they were going? Because when you get into the middle of the ocean, everywhere looks the same. They navigate this thing. How did they navigate, how did they navigate it? How did Christopher Columbus navigate this thing? There must be some predictability. Some of us came here today, remember we still use our you know, GPS, if you're in London, maybe they call it SatNav. You use all of those things. It's predictable. It's predictable. You are here. The sun has always been rising on the east and setting in the west. Predictable. How then do you want to now relate with God and you don't believe that there's some predictability about God? Are you in the house today? So, friends, listen to me very carefully. I'm not claiming to be a Bible expert. I'm not. I'm not a Bible expert. I'm claiming to be a Bible student. And I can tell you as a Bible student, that God is a God of principles. Somebody say principles. Oh, please say it again, principles. God is a God of principles. You know, the irrational God, or the unpredictable God, is very appealing to the African mindset. The irrational God, the unpredictable God, the mythical God, the God that we can never know what he will do tomorrow. It's very appealing to the African mindset because in the African mindset, as a result of idol worship history, we, and the idols were like that. They were unpredictable. Today they get angry, tomorrow they are calm. So that kind of a God, we feel that is powerful when we cannot predict certain things. It's not true. The Bible doesn't say that. Do you still like me? Whether you love, do or not, I'm going to preach this one. God is a God of principles. The realm of the spirit works by laws and principles. Please follow me, follow me. This is going to change your life. This is going to really help your faith. This helped, you know, when I say this and I get emotional, and I pray to God that I will not get too emotional. 
on this. This helped me at the most difficult point in my life. If I had believed what they said, that this God is unpredictable, you don't know what he would do, I would not be standing here. I had to believe that what he said is true. Look at it now. When Moses did everything Moses did, Moses, when he was living, you know, the Bible never recalls that he really told Joshua how those things worked. Moses would go and meet God on the mountain. Joshua would stay somewhere behind and Moses would meet with God. Then Moses would come out and say, I met with him. He said, we're going now. We should be going now. So nobody really knew what was going on. Then Moses died. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Let's start from there. Oh, thank you, Lord. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua. And God said, Moses, my servant, is what? Is that that season is passed on now? Now, therefore, go over this Jordan. Moses knew me as a person. God said, I spoke to him face to face. In other words, we have a personal relationship. But Moses did not codify some of these principles for you, Joshua, that will help you. So Joshua was like, I'm lost. Moses died, and he has taken away the rod that opened the Red Sea. And now I'm facing a river, Jordan. I'm facing different things. I'm facing a wall of Jericho. What am I going to do? I'm already, this, I'm going to fail. I don't even know where to find you on the mountain. And God said to Joshua, not a problem. The part of it that Moses didn't tell you is this. Everything works by laws. Verse 8. This book of what? Come on, speak to me now. This book of what? You know, when we read this, we just say, oh, the Bible, the Bible, that means the Bible. It's true. For us, it means the Bible. But don't miss the point God is trying to say. God is calling it the book of law. That means there are laws inside. It's all about laws. And like they say in this part of the world, in democracy in this part of the world, democracy in this part of the world is the rule of law, not the rule of man. The rule of law. Whatever the law says, everybody follows it. Do you, can I say something that it might sound blasphemous, but it is true. God himself has chosen to subject himself to his word. That's what the scripture says. It's the book of law. Okay, let's look at it. We said God is the God of principles. Psalm 119, verse 89 to 93. Psalm 119, verse 89 to 93. Let's take a look. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures. Look at it now. Your faithfulness endures to how many? Please speak to me again. Your faithfulness endures to what? So please understand, God is not faithful on a Monday and on a Tuesday is unpredictable. If you believe that, you're already a failure spiritually. God's faithfulness endures to how many generations? So the God that was faithful for Joshua, the God that stood by Moses, the God that stood by Elijah, the God that stood by Elisha, that same God is faithful today. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, we are not answering you. Our God is able to deliver us. We're going to the fiery furnace. That God that showed up in that fiery furnace with them, faithful to them, when Daniel was put in lions' den, the God that stood by Daniel that shut the mouth of the lions, when the violence of fire, when David faced Goliath, the God that brought him down, that God is still alive and is faithful today. 
If, when David faced Goliath, if he was going towards Goliath, he was saying, oh God, I don't know now. This stone might not work. What if I throw this stone? What if God does not show up? What will not happen to me? Well, God, David was not like that. David was looking at him and said, I will bring down your head today. This whole people will know that there is a God in Israel. You are coming against me with, with arrows, with, with spear and all of this. I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. The God whom you have. David was confident. Look at what Elisha said. Elisha said, Neman came to the king. The king was crying, oh, this man is looking for trouble. Elisha sent the message, said, tell him to come to me. He will know that there's a prophet in Israel. Look at the prayer of Elijah that God said we should look at. Elijah said, he put the, 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 the animal on the altar and said, oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, hear me, oh God. Let them know that there's a God in Israel and that there's a prophet in Israel. That's somebody that is sure, sure that God is faithful. He was laughing at the prophets of Baal. He said, call your God. Is he alive? Is he not alive? He was making fun of them. Then when he was his own time, he said, pour water on the thing. Pour water a second time. He said, sir. He said, pour water the third time. Then the Bible says, he said, okay, everybody in Akira, come. That's the man that is sure. That's, and that's him, God is faithful to all generations. All generations. Verse 91. It says, Oh no, please go back to verse 90. I want to read the last sentence in verse 90. You establish the earth. Notice he's talking about faithfulness now. You establish the earth and it abides. All right, look at it now. It abides. Verse 91. They continue this day according to your ordinances. The earth is continuing according to the principles of God. And he now says those principles are in servants that God has put in place. Keep going, please. Unless your law, look at it, please pay attention. Verse 92. Unless your law have been my delight, I will have, been, I will have perished in my. Did you see that? Oh God. Ah, Holy Spirit, help me, help me, help me. Your people must get this thing. Unless your what? Has been my delight. If you don't believe in laws, you don't believe in principles, then you can perish easily in your affliction. David said, I will have perished if I didn't believe that you are faithful to laws. He said, but your laws, your laws were my delight. I saw your laws by your Holy Spirit. You showed me in scripture the principles, the laws in the realm of the Spirit. They were my delight. I applied myself to it. That's why I came out of my affliction. Oh, may the principles of God be your delight in Jesus' name. Verse 93. I will never forget your principles. For by them, you have given me life. Friends, listen to me. Please respect these spiritual principles. God is faithful. He's not a man. He became a man, but he's not a man. He became a man, but he's not a man. That is, you lie. Neither is he the son of man. That is, you repent. As he said it, will he not do it? As he spoken, will he not make it good? I can't even close the service here. Isaiah 34, verse 16. Search ye. It's your responsibility. Search the book of the Lord. None of this shall fail. None. It's, it's your responsibility. You search it. Whatever you find there as a principle and you apply it, how many will fail? Please, let's believe God. Let's believe God. Let's believe God. None of this shall fail. None shall fail. None shall lack a mate. In other words, none shall have None shall lack the mirror representation of a testimony that is commensurate with the word you find. 
None shall lack a mate. For the mouth of God has commanded it, and his spirit checked it, quality assurance, to make sure it is so. God said it. God said it. If God has said, friends, listen to me. If God has said, you are the head and you're not the tail, and you find the principles and you apply it, and right now it doesn't look like you're the head, it's only a matter of time. Don't buy into the idea like, you know, I've done what God says you do, but I don't know. You know, it's up to God. Nobody can arrest God. Nobody can. If God wanted to operate that way, that nobody can arrest him. Nobody can touch him. There will be no devil. You don't even understand biology. Um, I say biology. Uh, biblical theology. The devil himself is because the devil believes in the faithfulness of God. That's why Mark chapter five verse seven. I'm not getting. I'm not going there. But I just let me just show you this. Look at this statement. Look at this statement. When you read this statement, normally you will say, ah, the demons are afraid of Jesus. But you read the statement very well. It says, and he cried out. He's talking about the demon now. With a loud voice. And said, look at what the demon said to Jesus. The demon is speaking to Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, became, that became flesh. He said, what do I have to do with you, Jesus? Hmm? What do I have to do with you, Jesus? Why are you coming to stress, stress me here? I'm here on earth. Why are you coming to stress me? You kick me out of heaven. Why are you coming to stress me here again? You kick me out of heaven. What are you, God, doing here on earth? Are you not the son of the Most High God? So what are you doing here on that? He said, I now implore you, you Jesus, even me, I implore you by God. The demons were trying to remind Jesus of the law, that you are the son of God, the second person of Trinity. What are you doing here on earth? So because of that, I'm now applying the principle of God against you. Even demons believe in this principle. They believe that this God, a demon is saying, I implore you by God. The demon is saying, I know God is faithful to his word. So Jesus, you, you must live now. But what the demon did not understand is that Jesus is not only fully God. He also has the right to be on earth. He's fully man. Because he became a man. So he has the right to be here on earth. But the point here is that the demons believe in the faithfulness of God. Christians don't believe. Christians believe that God is irrational. Uh, Pastor Chuma had a testimony. Uh, well, you know, you know God, God can do anything he wants to do. So God just gave him a testimony. For me, I've also been believing the same thing. Everything Pastor Chuma said I should do, I've also done the same thing. Nothing is working. You know, God can do whatever he wants to do. In other words, we are saying that he is lucky. But this God is no respecter of persons. Am I speaking to the right church? To God of principles. Let's look at one more. One more. There are many of these verses in Scripture. I can preach a whole year on this thing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus Christ speaking here. Jesus said, listen now. Some people say, oh, when Jesus came. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the principles, the laws. I didn't come to do that. What did I come to do? Speak to me, child. What did I come to do? Now, listen to this now. Everything God said in the Old Testament, he did not cancel it. The soul that sins must die. Isaiah 18, verse 4. God did not cancel it. Worship, to worship me, you have to do this, bring in an animal, animal sacrifice. It says that, you know, without the shedding of blood, there's no atonement for sin. It did not cancel any one of them. What Jesus just came as the demonstration of the God's perfect love is to embody the fulfillment, fulfillment, not cancellation, fulfillment of those laws. Today we are having it easier 
in serving God because, not because God canceled the Old Testament laws, but because he sent his only begotten son because he loves us to fulfill it. So that when we believe, when we believe in Jesus, it means we believe in all the principles that Jesus fulfilled. So in other words, in computer language now, he has just made it user-friendly. So instead of you have to put it into 5, 10, 25, 17, 16 systems that you don't understand, that you will lose track of, you just put all those systems to connect with only one system. Let that one system run all the other computers. You just need to remember only one password. Jesus' name. You log in Jesus' name, enter. And let Jesus now deal with you, all the other stuff. It doesn't mean all those other computers are obsolete. They're not obsolete. They're legacy computers. They're still working. They're still working. But it just means that in Jesus Christ, we get, he has fulfilled them. So you log into Jesus and let Jesus. That's why all of the promises of God in Christ Jesus, in Christ, they are yea and they are amen. Are you in this house? God is faithful. Can somebody shout, God is faithful? Oh, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. Can somebody shout, God is faithful? Oh, I still did not hear you. And can somebody shout, God is faithful? Oh, one more time. Somebody shout, God is faithful. That's right. God is faithful. If you don't believe God is faithful, you'll be afraid of what God is doing in your life today because you'll be, you'll be afraid because they will think that tomorrow it will not work again. When God helped us with open heavens in 20, 2011, and we saw about 4,000 people, 3,900 people to be exact, you know, and some change. And, and, you know, somebody would have said, ah, it was just a one-time thing, though. it was just because it was a novel idea. It was just a novel idea. That's why people just rally around it. We're not sure what's going to happen next year. Don't think that this is just going to continue. People just never seem dumb when before. It's just a novel idea. No, following year, 4,000 people. A little over 4,000 people. Following year, 4,800. Following year, 6,000 people were in Asian Center, 2014. You know, and he continued climbing on, he climbed 10, over 10,000 people. Why? Because, they were, because what, happened, what happened is this. When that thing happened in 2011, when we were going to 2012, somewhere in the middle, I asked God the question. This thing has worked. We had applied, we, we, we had applied what you call the kitchen, kitchen sink strategy. Everything we knew, we threw at it. We did prayer for months. We did fasting for months. We did this. We did adverts. We did this. We did everything. But it works. But how is it going to be repeatable? Lord, help me by the Holy Spirit to know exactly what are the core principles that made it work. That's the only way it's going to be repeatable. So it will not be locked. And the Holy Spirit answered that prayer and showed me what are the core principles that make it work. And I wrote them down. I wrote them down. Seven things that makes it work. And it will make it work anywhere. It's repeatable. Friends, God is not haphazard. It's not haphazard. He's a God of principles. Someone says he's a God of principles. God is constantly faithful to his principles. There's a name that God is called. It's called just. First John 1 9. God is just and faithful. Do you know why God forgives our sins? When you go to God, you know, when we go to God, we say, God, Father, I've sinned against you. Please, Lord, have mercy on me. Then sometimes, you know, 
like they tell us to do in Africa. God, oh God, have mercy on me. Then you rule on the ground, you rule on the ground, you rule on the ground and rule on the ground. Oh God, you're my father. Oh God, oh God. Then you feel you cry a bit more, cry a bit more. Oh God. But the Bible doesn't say God is going to forgive you because of that. There's one reason and one reason only why God forgives our sins. He's just and faithful. First John 1 9. This is not my idea. First John 1 9. Come on, look at it. It's faithful and just. Now, the interesting thing is that in this verse where God forgives our sins as Christians, there is no emotion in this verse. It, the Bible didn't say God is compassionate. God is a compassionate God. But when he talks about this, he's not talking about compassion. Are you following? He's not talking about compassion. He said it's just, okay, so faithful to what now? Faithful to me? Just, I mean, I've sinned. So what is it? He's just, he's faithful to the promise he gave Jesus Christ. That if you give your life and die and shed your blood, anybody that calls on your name by reason of your blood, once they invoke that, I will be faithful to that covenant and I will forgive their sins. So when you fall into sin as a Christian and you go to God, it is not your rolling on the floor that makes him have mercy. It is his remembrance of the covenant he had with Jesus that makes him have mercy. And he is just because he's not going to kill two people twice for the sins. One person has already died for the sins and that's Jesus Christ. Are you in this house? And if he does not forgive that sins, he will not be just. He will not be just. He will not be faithful to Jesus. That's why Jesus is sitting at the right hand side. So when God, if God the Father is saying, ah, this one, child, ah, this one, Jesus looks at him and says, okay, it's okay, you are forgiven. Because Jesus Christ right now on, in heaven, he still has the scars in his hands. He still has the scars in his hand. He still bears the scars. Is anybody in this house? God is faithful. You need to settle this very deep in your heart. That's the only reason why you can stand and look at issues and say to the issues, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I was hearing the testimony of a man of God who was speaking about his senior pastor, how in the earlier days of the church, one day they were leaving the church office uh, and he was carrying the bag of the pastor. You know, he also a pastor now. He was carrying the bag of the senior pastor. And as they came out, they had brought in a, a madman, chained, with chain. You know, this is in Africa. Chain. The madman is roaring like, a, like an angry sea. And he said he was just like, you know, you take, in those sort of cases, you have, by wisdom, you navigate yourself behind the man of God. You know, so he figured that carried his back and was listening to what the man of God would do. He said then, to his surprise, the man of God said, lose him. So he quickly reminded the man of God, ah, sir, to lose him. <laughs> the man of God said, yeah, lose him. So he said, he thought to himself, well, well, by the time they deal with you, let me just be here. And they lose the madman that was, when they were bringing him, the man that was resisting them, fighting them, they lose him and the man was calm. Calm! And the man of God pointed to him and told him, told the devil to get out of the man. He said he, 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 was, he was blown away. Now, the reason, and this, this uh, you know, uh, that testimony connected with me because I have something I've experienced. When Topsy and I, just as workers in the church, followed the pastor to a, 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 a mental home where somebody had been remanded, we went to go and pray for the person. As we got into the place, we saw the nurse and said, we're looking for this person, and so on and so forth. One man just showed up. 
One guy that was inside the place just showed up. He was in boxer shorts. I can't forget. Big guy. His chest big. And he was like, he was in front of me. He was standing there. I said, what is wrong? Why me? His eyes were red. And he looked at me. Shaka, pasha. He was just like he's talking in tongues. I said, why don't you go to the pastor? I followed him here. He was just standing in front of me. If you have never seen fear, I was, I, and here, here was Topsy. My newly married wife. And that man of God, smallish in stature, did not fight, did not push back. He just held his Bible in hand and started speaking on the Bible. The angels that left their first estate, you know, and started quoting scripture. He said, what are you doing here? I spoke to that devil. I spoke to the devil. I spoke to the devil, you know. And that's the first place in my life that I saw the impact of Psalm 149. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their bed. <laughs> with the high praises of God in their mouth and the two edges sword in their hand to bind the kings with chains and the nobles fellows by you. This honor has all the saints. And the man quoted that scripture and told him. And the boy, mm, 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 and he stepped back. Right in front of me. I went back, I go back home and said, hey, this thing works so. This thing is really true. Faithfulness of God. So the circumstances you're facing right now, my friend, you got to believe that God is faithful. Now, let me tell you where people make mistakes. And all of us have made this mistake. I've made this mistake also. Is when you believe God has revealed a particular principle to you. Are you still with me this morning? God has revealed a particular principle to you. Okay? That when you want to carry this, this monitor, I've given you two hands. You pick it with two hands. Every time you use your two hands, you will have more force to be able to carry it. That's the principle. One day, however, they bought a monitor that is ten times, that weighs ten times more than what it used to weigh. You get there, you pull it with your two hands. Ah, ah, you can carry it. Ah, it doesn't work. No muscle. It doesn't work. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. No, what we should do is to ask God, why could we not cast it out? Matthew 17, 19. They came to him privately. And they asked, Matthew 17, 19, are you still in the house? The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Why would they do that? Because Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, look at it. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, he said, he called the disciples to himself and gave them power over unclean spirits. To do what? To cast them out. You see that? To cast them out. So he gave them the power and sent them out to cast them out. So they went, they cast many out. But this time, okay, they couldn't cast it out. So they didn't go back and say, Master, you're a liar. You are faithful some days, you're not faithful some days. No, they went back and said, this, on this particular occasion, why could we not cast it out? And look at what Jesus said in verse 20. Jesus said to them. So he answered. He said, because of your unbelief. Unbelief? But you didn't tell us that the first time. We don't know that there's the principle of faith that has to be applied. Then he now tell them, you know, in verse 21, by prayer, and by fasting. But in, in the first instance, he never mentioned fasting. Are you following now? So that means that these principles are layered. They're layered. What you know today and what I know today might not be enough for what we're going to face tomorrow. So instead of saying God is not faithful tomorrow, what we should ask God is that what do I need to know today that I did not know yesterday that will help me to deal with the situations of today? Is anybody still in this house? And that's how we grow. Well, when you face the situation, you apply everything you already know and it's not working, 
Don't say, well, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Only God knows, no, we can't question God. God can do what he wants to do. No, no. Father, I've done everything I know how to do. Why is it not working? There's something I'm missing. I know you're a faithful God, but there's something I am missing. Then they told that man, he said, one thing you lack. Amen. Do you still love me? Yeah, I still love you too. Look at this now. Let's talk about let's talk about financial provision for a minute. We're talking about activating the supernatural. Let's talk about financial provision. In financial provision, Jesus Christ Himself taught us that if you are trusting God for financial provision for your immediate daily need. You can pray for it. Somebody say pray. He told us this. Look at it now. Matthew chapter 6 verse 8. In this manner then you pray. Matthew chapter 6 verse 8. In this manner then you should pray. Okay? Pray. And what are you going to pray? He says you're going to pray based on relationship. Our father is God, but it's your father. So you need something. You need a job. You need this. He said pray. Pray. Our Father, what should you pray then? Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. So you see that? Bread answers to prayer. Somebody say bread answers to prayer. Oh, please say it one more time. Bread answers to prayer. So you see that now. So somebody is going to take this now and say, wow. Bread, the answer to lack of bread is what? Based on this scripture, yes. The answer to lack of bread is prayer. So somebody's going to, let's pray. Let, let's just, don't worry. Let's pray about it. God said, Father, your word says, give us this day our daily bread. Oh God, give us this day, oh God, our daily bread, oh God. Oh God, give us this day our daily bread. Then, the person doesn't see what they have to see. Then they say, sometimes God answers prayer. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. These are all demonic doctrines. What else, what did you answer? God, I didn't see the bread I asked for. Are there other principles that, should, that brings bread that I'm not aware of? The answer is yes. John chapter 6 verse 5. Jesus said, Where shall we buy bread? Where shall we do what? So bread answers to prayer, true. But bread also answers to currency. So, the difference between John chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 6 is that in Matthew chapter 6, the bread that answers to prayer is to meet your immediate emergency need. Now, for yourself only. But the bread in John chapter 6 is what is going to meet a need of many people with excess. Because in verse 11, let's look at verse 11 and 12. It says, each man ate as much as they wanted. Okay? As much as they wanted. That's what they ate. And in verse 12, they had 12 baskets that were filled. So if you are going to have excess, you're going to have what you're going to leave for your children. Children's children. You're going to have what you're going to leave on in, after retirement. You're going to have all of that. You can't pray it in. You have to buy it. Jesus taught these two principles. You have to buy it. He taught us these two principles. So, is it okay to say that, oh, bread answers to prayer? Yes. 
But bread also answers to purchase. And the Bible tells us how to buy it. In Matthew 25, verse 9 and 10, it says you have to go to those that sell. What does that mean? Go to people that it has worked in their life and ask them. They're the ones that can sell it. They're the authorized dealers on earth. It is a go to God. If you're going to buy, you don't go to God to buy. Look at it now. He said, let's start from verse Let's start from verse 8. Look at what the Bible says. And you know, the Bible is an amazing book. It says, the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your bread. And that's what some people say, give us some of your bread. Fool- the Bible says, just ask the foolish thing. Oh, my brother is not helping me. My sister is not helping me. Oh, that church is not helping our church. Oh, the Bible says, that's foolishness. He said, the wise said to them, verse 9, lest it should not be enough for you and for me. Go to those that do what? And do what? Buy for you. This is, these three scriptures I've shown you, it's all coming from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus is the one teaching here. So the way you go and buy for yourself, you ask the person that is selling, I've seen this thing work in your life. I've seen how this thing is. You know, can you teach me some of the principles? There, and the way you buy it in this particular instance, you buy with honor. You honor your way into the person telling you. You don't say, oh, Jire, can you tell me how to do this? You say, you know, uh, yeah, I can do it, but not today. And you say, what's even wrong with him? See, because he has won so many awards now in music. Then you're not going to sell, you're not going to buy. Because the people that are selling this thing, there are very few. You don't go anywhere to buy it. You want to learn about church growth, serious, real church growth, that will cover the whole world, go to Pastor Deboe. He will tell you. He went to Yonggicho in South Korea to learn it, according to his testimony. And we've seen the photographs all over the place. And he learned that of how a single church can grow. And God gave him even more grace to expand it into the whole world. So much so that when he, later on when he met Yonggicho in his later life, who has gone to be with the Lord now? Yonggicho said, please pray for me. You le- he went from Nigeria to South Korea to go and buy it. Are you, is anybody still in this house? So, so you hear a testimony of somebody, don't let anybody, if they tell you, that if you ask somebody a testimony, oh, you know, Pastor Chuma, I saw that something, something, something happened, and then, uh, and Pastor Chuma said, oh, <laughs> thank, we thank you for me, it's just the grace of God. He's saying the truth, but it's not the complete truth. What you should do is pin him down. Tell him that, oh, yeah, of course, we thank God for that. Can I, when will I be able to have 10 minutes, just 10 minutes of a time? Then you ask specific questions. Specific questions. What is going to tell is the grace of God, but it's not only the grace of God. Please understand. Because the grace of God can be frustrated, it can be in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. And what I am by the grace of God, and the grace of God towards me was not in vain. It could be in vain. But you know, we are, we are now, which is part of how the enemy has really messed up the church and finished many people. We are now living in a very proud time where everybody's arrogant, everybody's a big man, everybody's a big woman. Nobody wants to learn anything anymore. What is it that you know? It's not the same Bible we're reading. Okay, keep on reading it. You have to understand that the Bible has wit, it has length, but it also has depth. And the depth of the Bible can never be accessed with your mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I will show you now. 
Understand? I have not seen, you have not heard, neither has he entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. That's verse 9. But verse 10, but they are revealed to us by his spirit, for his spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So the deep things of God is only accessible by his spirit, not by your mind. Oh, spirit of God, thank you. Are we still in the house? Okay. Oh. I still have some time, right? Can I, can I go on for a bit more? Okay, you're not sure. Last, last week's Sunday, I told you some things about the supernatural, for example. Certain key powerful principles. Three things about the supernatural. What is the first one? Infinitely superior. The second one controls the natural. And the third one, it can change things in the natural. These laws are there. So today I want to tell you quickly one of the laws that you can apply in the realm of the spirit that will change things for you in the realm of the natural. I want to speak about one of those laws. I want to start speaking about it. Then for as many of people that will believe here today, we're going to apply that one law. Is that all right? And that law is called the law of prophetic declaration. The law of prophetic declaration. Please write it down. Please write it down if you're writing. The law of prophetic declaration. Many Christians take declarations uh, as wishful thinking. They take it very, very um, casually. You know, very casually. They don't understand the impact it can have in terms of changing situations. So quickly, let me tell you this. Every Christian, of course, is given in New Testament, but given the responsibility to both confess and to declare. What is the difference between confession and declaration? So listen carefully to me. What is the difference between confessing the word and declaring? The difference between confession and declaring is this. When you, are, you and I are confessing the word, we are sowing seeds. We're doing what? We're sowing seeds. We're like farmers. We're like farmers. We're sowing seeds in our lives. Okay? Uh, I wake up in the morning and I pray. I say, I'm the head, I'm not the tail. I'm above, I'm not beneath. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, I arise and I shine. You know, my gates are open continually. That is all the word of God. What am I doing? I'm sowing seeds. I will reap the harvest, no doubt, because it's the word of God. Okay, that's confession. But it is not the same season the farmer sows that he reaps. That's why people get tired of confession. So I've been confessing this thing for 30 days. Nothing has happened. Yes, because they're sowing seeds. A farmer cannot sow for 30 days and say, nothing has happened. I planted cocoa the last 30 days. I've not seen anything. You sowed seed. Declaration is different. Declaration is not seed sowing. Declaration is situation changing. So while confession sows the seed for you to see in your tomorrow, declaration brings your tomorrow to today. It changes the situation now. Why? Because it applies superior forces in the realm of the spirit that are waiting to be engaged and engages them for today. Can I hear an email from somebody? 
Confession, seed, sowing. We should do that and continue to do that. Declaration, situation, changing. Confession, seed, sowing. Declaration, situation, changing. Now, when you now upgrade this now, you, everybody as a Christian should be doing this, both confessing the word and declaring the word. But when you now upgrade this to, to the office of the prophetic, all right, it takes another different ballgame entirely. What you have prayed for, for so and so, suddenly begins to work. Now let me tell you why it works, so that you understand this. Why does it work? When you submit yourself to a prophetic declaration, by submitting yourself, I mean you believe. You believe. Why does it work? Let me just give you two reasons why it works. Number one, God backs up the word of his servant. Now, the word servant here means the people he has called and he has chosen to be in that particular office. Let me repeat that. The people he has called and chosen to be in that particular office. He backs them up. Isaiah 44, verse 26. Let's look at KJV. Sorry, NKJV. Isaiah 44, 26. God who confirms the word of his servant. This is God talking about God now. And performs the counsel of his messengers. Who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. Now, this prophet is the one speaking now. To the cities of Judah, you shall be rebuilt. And I will raise up her waste places. You see, God confirms the word of his servant. God confirms the word of his servant. Who is the servant of God? The person God has chosen. Chosen? Okay? Is appointed, is chosen, and placed to function in a particular office. Please understand this quickly. The qualification to be chosen is not smartness. It's not that the person is better than any other person in the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, the person might be the worst. Okay? Because God chooses the foolish things okay, to confound the wise. Okay? But if he has chosen, the faithfulness of God guarantees he will back up that choice he has made. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Alright, let's look at this in the TPT translation. TPT translation. The law of prophetic declaration. TPT translation. Isaiah 44, 26. I think I saw it somewhere. Uh, and if you can find that, that's fine. Okay. So, God confirms the word of his servants. Okay. He, 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 he performs the counsel of his messenger. That's the first reason why it works. Okay. The second reason why it works is this. You know, that's why you will see in the Bible, like for example now, when in 2 Kings chapter 2, Please pull out this specific verse for me, please. Thank you. Second Kings 2, when Elisha broke the curse over Jericho, okay, and said, Jericho, I want you to show me that verse, please. And when they, said, when they came to me and said, you know, Jericho is a very pleasant city, but the water is bad. All right, let's start from there. Verse 19. Second Kings 2, verse 19. The men of the city said to Elisha, watch this now, please notice the situation of this city. It's pleasant. As my Lord says, but the water is bad and the ground is what? Barren. Verse 20. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. 
keep going. Then he went out to the source of the water, cast in the salt there, and said, now listen to this very carefully. Thus says the Lord. Thus says who? So he's speaking the word of God now. I have healed this water for from it there shall be no more death or barrenness. Right? Keep going. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of God. But I thought it was God that was speaking. Thus says the Lord. Because the reason why the Holy Spirit that wrote this, what the Holy Spirit designed to show us is this. Under prophetic declaration, under the Spirit of God, when he's speaking, it's chosen by God, and when he's speaking, heaven considers it to be the word of God. Man might hear the word of a man, but heaven considers it is written in the annals of heaven. This is the word of God. Whatever resources are put in place to bring the word of God to pass, that same resources are released to bring that to pass. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the second thing I need to you know to why it works is this. And this is very important. This is why sometimes you will see people that will tell you, oh, I'm called by God, I'm doing this. We're doing... No, because people automatically, and I used to be like that too, automatically assume that once you're doing something for God, automatically it's God's thing we're doing. It should work because I have a good at. Then it's not working and they're struggling badly. This is the reason. One of the reasons, I should say. God assigns angels for the assignment he chooses. God assigns angels for the assignment he, God, has mandated. So if God mandates an assignment and he wants to start a work here in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, he assigns angels. So when he's calling a man and saying, Mr. XYZ, I wanted to go and run with this particular bishop. And the man says, yes, here I am, Lord, send me. Or it might be a woman. By the time the man is saying, yes, send me, that yes, send me, is releasing heavenly angelic army to stand with him to carry out the assignment with him or her. Are you following what I'm saying? That is why the Bible will always say in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, verse 11, and so forth, you say, to the angel of the church of, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, to the church, angel of the church in Sardis, different angels for different assignments. Now, the one that blew my mind, two examples, in the Acts of Apostles, in the early church. First one is the story of Paul when he was in the boat going to, going to Rome. Acts 27, let's start from verse 22 to 25. Acts 27, verse 22 to 25. So, they were in this boat. The boat was about to crash. Okay, there was a big storm. And he says, so Paul, after 14 days, they've not been eating. Nobody has been eating. It wasn't necessary that they were fasting. They've just not been eating. They were just so scared for their lives. So Paul now went to them and said, you know what? I urge you to take heart. And Paul said to them, there will be no loss of life. There will be no loss of life among you. He said, but, but the sheep will not survive. He said, but there will be no loss of life among you. Now look at verse 23. He said, he said the explanation is this. There stood by me this night... This night, in that same boat, in that same ship, the rest of the people, didn't, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't perceive that. He said, but there stood by me an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve. That God I'm serving, 
that angel that is going on me, bringing the gospel. I have been sent to take the gospel to Europe. This trip is the first time I'm going to Europe that the gospel will get to Europe. As the gospel is going to Europe, Paul, you're not the only one going. There's an angel going with you there. The goal of the angel is to make sure that the transition from Jerusalem to Rome ends successfully. Why? Because Acts 23, verse 11, Jesus told him. Jesus said to him, Paul, be of good cheer. For as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, you must also be a witness in Rome. To make sure that this word comes to pass, an angel was given to Paul. That angel went with him. So Paul said, let's go back to our story, 27, 20, 20, 23. He said, an angel stood by me. Who myself? Then go on, verse 24. He said, he said to me, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought. You see that? That same thing Jesus told him. Must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, even the people that are going with you that are, were not praying, they were afraid. He said, all of them, no one of them would die. He has granted you their lives. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Why? Not because of Paul, but because of the assignment. Now, the one that blew my mind the most is this. You know, in the early church, they were very sensitive to spiritual things a lot. They were very sensitive to what? Spiritual things a lot. So let's look at Acts chapter 12. You know, when Peter was put in prison, Peter did not even believe it. God sent his angel. The angel went there and delivered Peter. You know, if you read the story very well, you see that Peter was not even really believing. Peter was sleeping. Thank you, Lord. Peter was sleeping when the angel came and struck him and said, come and follow me. Peter thought he was dreaming. Verse, verse 10 and 11. He thought he was dreaming. He was just going out, following the angel. He thought he was seeing a vision until the angel, until he realized that the angel was not, it was not, it was not a vision. Then the one that blew me was that when Peter now got to the house of the people, he now knocked on the door. A little girl came out, called Rhoda. Okay? And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. She ran back inside to announce that Peter at the gate. Now, hear what the people said. Then they said to her, you are beside yourself. They, he kept saying, he saw, I saw him. Then they said, no, 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 no. It's not Peter you saw. You saw what? His, his angel. Not that you saw an angel, but you saw what? His angel. This is not a mistake in the Bible. Check other translation. It's not a mistake. You did not just see an angel. You saw what? His angel. So will it be right then to say, you saw Peter's angel? Is that right? That's what he saw. So they said, no, no, okay, okay. We know the reason why you're saying Peter, Peter now. Okay, you saw his angel. Yeah, the man said, yeah, that's why. That means that the, people, the early church was sensitive to that fact that when Jesus told Peter, you lead the church, angel was also, he had somebody called the angel. So this is the way I put it in my word, you know. When God mandates you to do an assignment, it could be in ministry, it could be in the marketplace, it could be for you to be an apostle in the marketplace, it could be whatever area it's going to be. When God mandates you, it gives you a specific, specific authorized angel that follows you, that leads other angels to see to it that that assignment is carried out. Friends, I have to say this to you, God Almighty is my witness. In 2011, when we were about to do this first open heavens, and every time I look at what we're trying to do, you know, because from a logical point of view, the previous 2010, the previous watch night service we did, which we had at Living Arts Center, we had 1069 
1,069 people in attendance. 1,000, sorry, 1,619, sorry, pardon me. 1,619, 1,619 people in attendance. That's what we had. So now we are doing something the following year, one year later, and we say we're expecting over 3,500. Logically, it does not make sense. When I look at the trend of growth between 2008, 9, and 10, the way the graph was going, we were 1,000, 1,002, 1,006. So it was not making any sense to me. It was not making, even if we are going to grow by 30%, even if it's 50%, then it will be 800 plus 1,600, it will be 2,400. Is it making sense to anybody? It will not be anything not close to what they were saying. And then after I said 3,000 people, the people that did the flyers went and printed over 3,500 people. If not for, the, for us trying to save money because of the budget, I will change the flyers. Because it doesn't make any sense to me. How is it going to happen? Then, one day when I was, you know, God saw my heart of how I was, then God said to me, I remember clearly, he said to me, go and study the ministry of angels. Because I was not aware that there were angels in this thing. God is my witness. Then I, I still have those books. Then I bought books on angels. That's how I got to know this thing. I got books. I immersed myself in it. Studied the ministry of angels. I came out of that study very, very confident. Then I knew that I wasn't the only one. Then, one of those days, I was praying in Lenwood Drive, in our old building, at night. It was December. Praying concerning the open heavens. Praying. As I was praying, Klabobo, Shanga, Talaba, Kuja, Father, save, save souls, Lord. Oh God, as I was praying, suddenly I had in my heart, you're not alone. Eh? At 1 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so when suddenly you called to me, I'm not alone. Then I started hearing sounds. Audible sounds. Just like, just like David was hearing on the marble trees. I started, and the sounds were not coming from the earth. It wasn't coming like somebody was in the building opening doors or anything. I could hear the sound. It was, it was, it was like the sound was suspended in the air. And it was sounds of people. But, you know, the amazing thing about it was that I was not afraid. It was a very serious spiritual encounter I was having. I was not afraid. It wasn't a vision. It was real. But I, was not pan I didn't panic. It was like I was like I woke up and I was like, oh, Father, just thank you. And I was hearing the sound. I knew straight away. God has released, because this was the first time we're going to do anything as a church that will encompass the city. For that particular mandate, God has released his angels. And like in science, for you to test that a particular theory works, you must have a balancing, a balancing parallel test where you have a placebo to show that it is real. We had other situations whereby we had other people that did some great things in Hershey Center. They even, when they got stuck by the week before, they even gave us tickets and our praise, which we were trying to give to our own people free. They still did not go. Because there's, there's publicity, but there's no angel. This one makes it work. So when one of my daughters here, I, she went for an interview for a job. She wanted that job. So I, I, I prayed for her. This was many years ago. I prayed for her. She said, Pastor, pray for me. And she believed. So I prayed for her. So she came back and said, I said, how did you go? She said, well, Pastor, you know, they didn't give me the job. I said, but that job is a job. Don't say that. But they didn't give me any job. But the only thing that prompted me to say that, I said, but that job is a job. Months later, they called her back. About a month or six weeks later, they said, you know what, come and take the job. Why? Because she believed in it. There was a daughter of mine I saw. She was exiting the church, going to live in the church. And I said, hey, hey, hi. And she greeted me, oh, Pastor. I said, oh, hi, how are you? Hi, it's your job. Then she stopped. 
He said, I'm not working now. I said, well, you know you have a job then. From now on, you have a job. Since God has prompted me to ask you, why is your job? I said, so I'm going to ask you the second question again, second time. And I want you to respond like somebody that is working and enjoying the job. So how is your job? She said, uh, very well. I'm enjoying it. Very good. I said, congratulations then on the job. That was it. Now, now, let me say this to you. It's got nothing to do with the man. That's why there's no pride in it. It's not to me because I'm superior. With this understanding, now I say, okay, it is the forces that are behind the mandate. Are you hearing what I'm saying? First, you have to, you know, you know, I used to get really, people wonder, I used to get really, really tired when I do this work. Like we're doing seven nights of solution now. I'll be so exhausted, I'll be so tired, they'll be, you know, struggling to get, but God showed me many years ago, one of these is solution to it. God told me one day, he said, you're doing the job of man and you're doing the job of angels together. Then he showed me Matthew chapter 13, verse 39. Don't worry, I'll close now. I'll close in a minute. Which means 10 minutes. He said, the enemy who sold is the devil. The adverse is the end of the age. And the reapers are who? Yeah. The reapers are the angels. But the sower sows the seed. Your own job is to sow the seed. Once you have sown the seed, step back and leave the reaping season to the angels. For the angels are the reapers, not men. Are you still with me now? So do your own bit and then relax. So from then on, I let angels do their work. So angels come with a mandate. You can't see them, but devils can see them. You can't see them, but demons can see them. You can't see them, but circumstances can see them. That's what makes prophetic declaration powerful. That's why Elisha can say, by this time tomorrow, shall I have surplus? And the people like the say, how? But the angels went straight away and started staring on four lepers. And the lepers said, let us move. And as the lepers started stepping, at twilight, God made the camp of the Syrians to hear a sound. And the people interpreted the sound as the sound of a great army. They were not wrong. They were not wrong. They were not wrong. That's why in this thing, in this work, you know, it is the most humbling of all assignments because you, once you have this kind of understanding, you understand that there's nothing working there that has to do with you. Nothing is working in the ministry that, that, that can be traceable to your smartness or your intellectualism or your superiority of ideas. Nothing. Everything can be traceable only to one source. The grace of God and the resources He, God, has made available. When we were doing the solution line, one of my daughters was sitting down there. She had been battling with getting something, you know, or a breakthrough. In what, and the Holy Spirit led me to her, and I said, you come, stand up. Let me pray for you. And I, just, and I told her, I saw you trying to take something, and you couldn't take it. How will that happen? The angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. There was a man in the wilderness, in the desert, called the Ethiopian Enoch. And the Bible says, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, go towards the south, along the road. Go there. You will meet Ethiopian, you know, you will meet somebody. Go there. Go there. And that's where he went to. And he met him there. 
the angel is the one that led him to that one man in the wilderness. And he brought, he brought salvation to Africa. Friends, this is, this is it. That is why copycat in this thing doesn't work. Copycat doesn't work. Oh, you know what? I see that House of Praise is brought in Domwen, and you know, they had all this number of people. We are going to bring in Domwen. We bring in Domwen. It doesn't work because the angels are not there. Hmm. I want to speak. I'm, God knows I'm speaking from my heart. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just trying to explain to you so that it will save you from a lot of trouble. Save you from a lot of trouble. There are many things, all that many great churches are doing that I cannot afford to do. Because if I do it, I will fail. Because I'm not sent to do that one. The one I'm sent to do is what I'm doing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Oh, but why are we not doing this? The reason why we're not doing that is not part of the original mandate. And I don't have a mandate to do that one. The one I have a mandate to do, you see, is working. And it's the only reason why it's working is because of the angels, the forces, and the grace God has released. That's why I can say to you, go and prosper. I say, just, you say, just like that? Yes, just like that. Because after I've said it, they have already waiting for you, cleared the way for you to make sure. They're just waiting for you to take your own step. So this thing is not about, church is not just about imparting knowledge. It's about changing the atmosphere concerning the love of God by the authority of a mandate. Thank you, Lord. I wanted to make some declarations today, but because of our time, I think I will have to leave it to next week. You know. This is why it works. This is why it works. Got nothing to do with my and our arrogance, please listen carefully. Our arrogance and pride in the body of Christ has now made us be cheated by the devil. We're cheated by the devil now. Satan has cheated the body of Christ so much. Because we all think we know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay. Okay, the things you are struggling with for years, only one statement from gen- somebody that is genuinely called by God, with an end of proof, will render it easy for you. You are doing a business. It looks like somehow the business is somehow. By one statement of increase, just that increase, that statement alone, as you believe that God sent the person to you, that statement alone creates for you. That statement is powerful enough to create for you the circumstances that will force increase to show up in your life. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You know, this is where when you read the Bible, you read the very well. This there are no mistakes in the Bible. The Bible says concerning Paul when he was on the island of Malta. The Bible says that his snake was on his hand. Put his snake in the fire. Why? He was on the island of Malta. He hasn't gotten to Rome. Why would the snake? The snake is not going to kill him because the gospel will die. It's not Paul. The snake can kill Paul, but the snake cannot kill the gospel. The gospel is inside him. So when people are looking at Paul in natural, they say, ah, he is a murderer. When heaven is looking at him, heaven is looking at the gospel in Europe. So when heaven was taking the snake out of his hand, Heaven was saying, ah, ordinary snake will not stop the gospel in Europe. You are looking at it and seeing an individual and saying a, an individual, he deserves it. But heaven is saying, ah, the whole gospel in the whole of Europe. No. No, you can't die. They pull him up out of it. Are you following what I'm saying? 
Paul shook it. Then the Bible says, the governor of that island, the father ate too much suya. He was going to the washroom too much. He had dysentery. Then the Bible said something very strange. The Bible said, Paul went to him and healed him. The Bible did not say Paul went to him and God healed him. Let's look at it. He laid his hands on him and did what? Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. This is not New Testament. Look at the mouth from the mouth of Jesus. Go. Preach. Saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Keep going. They said, heal the sick. I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm done. Heal the sick. Now, why would Jesus tell me, me, to go and heal the sick? I don't have the power to heal the sick. But what he's saying is that you go there. We need a human vessel to be authorized to do something here on earth. All you need to do is present yourself as a human vessel. The forces that are following you have been given the charge. So when God is saying, go and heal the sick, it's not only you he's speaking to. He's speaking to the angels following you. Do you get it now? So he's speaking to the angels following you also. So he says, I give you a mandate to go and empower people to achieve their dreams and fulfill their destiny. And you say, oh, praise God. I will step out. But you're not the only one. Because you can't empower people with English grammar. So it's also giving that mandate to angels that stand behind you and say, whoever will believe, we're here to empower you. So when you say, be empowered, the angel says, that's it. And they touch you. And off you go. Is anybody still in the house? Does anybody want a change of season today? Is anybody that wants a change of season today? God is going to bring you into a season of ease. God is going to bring you into a season of ease. God is going to bring you into a season of ease. This is a law in the realm of the spirit. God is faithful. You hold on to it. There are doors that are going to open here this afternoon. That somebody has knocked on for a long time and did not open. Doors will open here this afternoon. It will open for your children. It will open for your family. It will open everywhere around you. I'll fail in my responsibility if I don't tell you. You, you have to connect with these things. And the way you do, part of the way you do that is honor. Let me say this to you. you don't, it's not the man you're honoring or the woman. You're honoring the grace. You're honoring the calling. You're honoring the assignment. You're honoring God. That's what opens you up to that connectivity. Is anybody still in this house? That's what opens you up to it. That's what opens you up to it. Don't let Satan plant one or two things in your mind to pull you out and disconnect you. It's a danger. It's a risk to you, not to the person. Because the angels have not left. The angels have not left. The angels have not left. The angels are still standing by the person. Until the angels left, leave, the work cannot fail. They can't fail, the work cannot fail. So it's you that will be just be disconnected. But the work cannot fail. You come back six months later, you come back one year later, you see the work, you're like, ah, people are still going to that church. Why? Well, yes, because the angels are still there. Sir, this thing is not just natural. Don't be fooled. Don't let anything disconnect you. Don't waste your time spending 10 years for what one, one year will do for you with prophetic declaration. One day I was coming, I was traveling from Detroit. It was dark, late at night. I was even afraid to drive. I was exhausted completely. So and I, I was so tired. I couldn't even pray. This was 2002. 
come from Detroit. Pastor Fadel was, the, was still pastor in the church in Detroit then of our Redeemed Christian Church of God. And it happened as at that time. He was, was my zonal coordinator in the Redeemed Christian Church of God. He had just, just about to be or just had just become the chairman of the board. So I went to him. I said, sir, can I just see you for a minute? He said, oh, I'm busy now. I said, no, sir. I'm traveling tonight. I just need to see something, sir. I said, and the road is dark. Ah, then, then he said, look at what he said to me. He said, when you get there, you will call me. That's all he needed to say. He didn't even pray. When you get there, you will call me. 2002. I said, hey, amen, sir. That's it. I knew nothing would stop me from getting there. Because the man of God said, when you get there, you will call me. That means the call, I will be the one to make the call, and I will get there before I make it. That's it. I believe in it. I took it. 2002. Am I not here now? Who knew what God the enemy has planned? So I want to speak over your life now. They are telling us some things are coming, some things are coming. Nothing is coming to you. This is the end of the message. We are sure that you have been blessed. For more information, please visit our website at www.houseofpraise.ca. God bless you.